Be Christ's Church. Impact the valley. Reach the world. All for the glory of King Jesus. Welcome to the North Roanoke Podcast. Today, our lead pastor, Daniel Palmer, will be opening God's word for us. Our prayer is that you will encounter the living Lord as you hear his word proclaimed. Well, amen, and welcome back to the book of Philippians. We'll be in chapter 2. The nearness of Jesus is a great promise that we have um, because God came down at Christmas. Uh, We can be near to Jesus because the Holy Spirit will apply what Christ has done on behalf of sinners uh, when we turn from our sin and trust in Him. And if you don't have this awareness and this hope of the nearness of God in your life, I I sure hope uh, that perhaps even in this Advent season, this Christmas season, that you would know uh, the glory of belonging to God as his child through faith in Jesus. And for those of us who do know Christ, there are implications of the nearness of Christ in his local family, in the church, and that's what Paul has been telling us about in the book of Philippians. So we're going to dive in in just a moment, but first, uh, I'd like to pray. Would you bow with me? God, our Father in heaven, we thank you for sending your Son. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for applying the work of Christ to the hearts of sinners and God, we, we ask this morning uh, that the same Spirit that has, has saved many of us would, would continue the work of sanctifying us, of, of making us look more like Jesus and, and less like our fleshly selves. And God, that we would, in the hearing of your word, that we would go forth today and, and be a, a brighter light, uh, a greater example of Christ in the world. And we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Philippians chapter 2 Uh, Beginning of verse 19 is where we're going to find ourselves today. Paul, back in chapter 1, is writing to the church at Philippi, and he tells them that he's in prison, and he tells them about his situation. There's people preaching from rivalry, and then he uses that to segue to what's going on in Philippi, that they're struggling with some unity. They're struggling with standing together uh, for the sake of the gospel, and he urges them to, to be united. And then he gives Jesus as this great example of unity, and then he tells them to, to just do it, just live this out, apply this life of Christ in the life of the church. And now he's going to turn back, in a sense, to his own situation or to his plan to send people to Philippi. And he's going to use the people that he's going to send Philip to Philippi as examples of the sort of Christ-likeness to which he has been calling the church. So it's kind of been abstract, it's been theological, and now he's going to put, in addition to himself, in addition to Jesus who, who denied himself and went all the way to the cross for us and our salvation, he's going to say, look, here's, here's two examples you can consider right now. They're, they're alive, you know who they are, and these men are Timothy and Epaphroditus. So Paul's going to give us some concrete examples of what he's been talking about. I love what Tony Morita says. He says, when a church like the one in Philippi or any church today follows such selfless examples, they will grow in unity. It, it will happen. So if we'll apply ourselves to the examples that God gives us, we're going to grow in unity. So with that in mind, would you hear with me the word of the Lord? We'll, we'll start in verse 19 and we'll make our way all the way to the end of chapter 2. 
Paul writes this, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father he has served me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will also come. I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near to death. But God had mercy on him and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again. And that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ. Risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. In these two paragraphs we get an explanation of who Paul is sending and when. And Bible scholars have attempted to sort of reconstruct what's going on in the background that precipitates or leads to Paul's explanation of wanting to send Timothy but having to wait for a while and needing to send Epaphroditus right now. Some, some believe that the Philippians had requested that Paul send Timothy and he had to hold him back and instead send Epaphroditus. And that, that might be true, but it's not necessary for us to, to believe that in order to understand the, the plain meaning of this text. Here's, here's what we know for sure. Paul wants to send Timothy to Philippi just as soon as he can, and he wants Timothy to bring a report back to him that's going to encourage him. In in verse 19, Paul expects to be cheered up, or literally good-souled, that it would be good for his soul to hear back from Timothy what God is doing in in Philippi, and why is he going to be encouraged? Because they're going to get this letter that Epaphroditus is going to take back to them, and they're going to get it together. And then Timothy's going to go, he's going to find out that they've gotten it together, and he's going to come back to Paul and say, guess what? They got it together in Philippi. Praise God. So Paul, in the meantime, is sending Epaphroditus back to Philippi with this letter to thank them and to commend Epaphroditus and to challenge them to address the issues that are in the local church before Timothy shows up. Now Epaphroditus is called their messenger and minister because Epaphroditus was the one who carried the gift to Paul from Philippi, most likely to Rome. Does that make sense? So he's the, he's the messenger, and now Paul's sending the messenger back to Philippi with this letter that says, hey, get it together, church. And then he's going to send Timothy, and he's going to find out, hey, you got it together. Now all of this might seem, quite frankly, a, a bit boring, right? It's, it's a travel plan. It's, it's just a plain old travelogue, and yet it is the Bible. This is Scripture. This is breathed out by God, God's Word to us. So what can we learn from travel plans? What can we learn from an old, boring recounting of anticipated travel plans What we see in the midst of this are examples of Christian friendship and mentorship and Christ-like humility 
that should encourage us to live out everything else we've read in Philippi. I love what Tony Morita writes about this. He says, as a result of our addiction to sensationalism, we always want a big moment. We always want a mountaintop experience. He says, as a result of our addiction to sensationalism, we can get bored easily. We can't sit still to study or to listen. We tend to downplay faithful, normal Christian service that honors Jesus. But God normally meets us in the ordinariness of life. And the first thing, church, that we can learn and do with these ordinary travel plans is we can learn from Timothy's example. In particular, we can see Timothy's faithful and Christ-like concern for the local church and his proven character as a servant in the gospel in his friendship with Paul. So Timothy is going to be somebody we want to emulate. In verse 19, Paul writes that he hopes in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to Philippi soon. Paul often describes salvation as something that occurs in Christ. To be saved is to be placed out of your flesh and into Christ. So all that we say, do, think is to to be done in Christ. Our actions, our thoughts, our strategies, our hopes, our behaviors are to be in the Lord Jesus. So Paul is saying, look, I I believe this is in the realm of what Christ wants and I'm going to send him. I'm confident that I'm going to send him so long as Christ wills for it to happen. If this is the Lord's will, this is what I'm going to do. And Paul wants to send Timothy soon. The word means quickly or urgently. There's an urgency to what Paul wants to do. Why? Because it is an urgent thing that the Philippians get with the program. He's been telling them, get united, stand firm together, stop grumbling and complaining. Remember the joy of being spent and poured out for the glory of Christ. And these things are not things to be tabled or thought about later or delayed. These are urgent matters in the church. And I can't wait to get Timothy there to find out that you've read the letter and you've gotten it together. That's what Paul is saying. He expects to be cheered up. By the news of them. Verse 19. As Fee writes, Timothy's reason for coming, therefore, besides encouragement to the Philippians and informing them about what's going on with Paul, is to cheer Paul up by reporting back about their situation. Here again is evidence that even though Paul has to get kind of feisty with the Philippians a little bit, he fundamentally believes they are genuine believers, right? Because he believes they're going to hear and they're going to respond. He believes that the Spirit of God will have his way in Philippi. So then Paul explains why he specifically wants to send Timothy. Why why Timothy? And in his explanation of why he wants to send Timothy, we get a wonderful picture of Christian friendship and the results of Christian mentorship. And in particular, what I'm going to call pastoral mentorship. Now, I know Paul's an apostle and not technically a pastor, but... Paul is, is pastoring the pastors who then equip the pastors in the churches. And as you know, our, our Constitution Committee has presented a proposed Constitution to be voted on in January. This Constitution leaves many things as they are right now in our church. But one major change is it provides a pathway for us to identify and train and call out men from within our own church family to serve as a part of a pastoral team who will lead us forward for the glory of Christ. Why? Because that's what's in the Bible. 
Timothy is a great example of a Christian friend and someone mentored in the ministry of leading a church. He's an example of the sort of men we will be looking for to train and identify and equip and call out as we seek to be a pastors-led, congregation-approved, Jesus-ruled church. Notice what Paul says about Timothy in verse 20. I have no one like him. He's it. It's not easy to just find pastors. I got no one else. Literally, I have no one else of like mind or like soul. In other words, Paul can trust Timothy's spiritual instincts. He can trust his doctrinal commitments as he evaluates Philippi and guides Philippi to faithfulness. Paul knows that if Timothy gets to Philippi, he's not going to be roped into popularity contests or just, oh, the newness of Timothy's back in town and everybody's celebrating Timothy. He knows that Timothy has a job to do that Timothy will do and he will do it faithfully. Paul can rely on Timothy to function in Philippi like Paul would function in Philippi. He can rely on Timothy to assess the situation there in a way that's not motivated by self-promotion or the desire to be liked. But do you see it in verse 20? A genuine concern for their welfare. He really wants the good of the church. Which means he'll be willing to say the hard things the church needs to hear so that the church can prosper. Paul trusts Timothy to love the church by not neglecting or abandoning God's best for the church. Paul and Timothy, by this point, have shared many miles of ministry and Bible study and fellowship and ministry conversation together. Paul can trust his compassionate and genuine and theologically faithful concern for Philippi. Timothy is well equipped to bring back to Paul a reliable assessment of what's going on in Philippi. You see, Paul has confidence in Timothy because Timothy is truly concerned for the believers in Philippi. And that genuine and Christ-like and word-centered concern for the church isn't something that just happens. It's not easy to develop or to find or to cultivate. It's, it's why churches do not lay hands on men or, and appoint them to ministry quickly, 1 Timothy 5, 22. And in verse 21... Paul emphasizes how special Timothy is and why he wants to send him when he says they all seek their own interests and not those of Jesus Christ. Do you see what Paul has just done here? Go back to verse 4 and he tells us about those who seek their own interests rather than the interests of others and now he talks about seeking their own interests and not those of Christ. What does that mean? It means to seek the interest of our fellow brothers in Christ is to seek the interests of Jesus. How do we seek out the interests of Jesus? We seek out the good of his church. We don't know who all these people are, right? In verse 21, they all seek their own interests. We don't know if if he has in mind uh, the the preachers who were preaching from rivalry in chapter 1, verse 15. Certainly, he doesn't mean every Christian in Rome, right? He'd, He'd be writing a different letter. If it was all the Christians in Rome don't care about the interests of Jesus, it's possible that he's saying simply this of the co-workers in the gospel that I would send out none of them are here right now except for Timothy Luke's not here the others that I've cultivated relationships aren't here in many other places in Paul's letters he commends other co-workers like Timothy in the gospel so he's not saying Timothy is the absolute only guy in the world 
that loves Jesus like I do or loves the church like I do. Does that make sense? But he's saying, of the people available to me right now to send to you, I got Timothy. Timothy's the guy I got to send. And the reality is, church, we need to raise up some more Timothys. We have a desperate need to raise up Timothys in the church today. The average age of the U.S. workforce is 42 years of age. But the average age of the evangelical pastor in the United States is 54. Newsflash, I don't know if you're aware, but the average age of the church in America overall is rising and rising rapidly as the generations coming up are not engaging in the church. With every passing generation, fewer and fewer on a percentage basis are coming to saving faith in Christ and engaging the church. We, we've got to raise a generation of Timothys. We've got, to, we've got to reach the next generation and we've got to help them to cultivate a, a Timothy-type understanding of and concern for the local church. I'm afraid that many in the local church have forgotten how important the local church is. The local church is not some sideshow in making disciples. It is the main attraction. It is the main event. The local church is God's plan A, and he has no plan B for making disciples. You can't be a disciple of Christ and not be engaged in a local church. How do you do the 57 one-anothers of the gospel without the local church? And we're sidelining the church and elevating all these other things on the side of the church when Jesus says he died for what? The church. Disciples of Jesus, young, old, and in between, do life together with one another across generations and ethnicities and socioeconomic classes in a local church. We were not made to carve ourselves out into cookie-cutter little groups of people just like us. That's the mystery and the wonder of the church that he brings together radically different people and unites them in Jesus. When you understand Jesus has graciously taken an interest in you, you will be compelled to gratefully take an interest in what interests Jesus, verse 21. And what interests Jesus is his church. Marita says this, serving Christ involves serving others in the church. We must not put good things, and there are great things out there that you can participate in, great ministries. But we must not put good things, concerts, Christian artists, conferences, parachurch ministries, and podcasts before the main thing. And the main thing is the local church. Christ's bride needs more Timothys, men who will prize Christ by prizing his church and laboring for her health, which requires seeking not their own interests, but the interests of Christ Jesus. We need a generation of men who are interested in and willing to pay the price for what King Jesus is interested in. And what is he interested in? He's interested in the health and the unity and the holiness and the faithfulness and the worship and the witness of his church. Unless you think I'm leaving out the ladies this morning, I'm not at all. God calls men to lead a local church as a team of pastors, but he calls women to be on the front lines of equipping as well. In Titus chapter 2, he makes no apologies that Older women need to mentor younger women in the faith. I'm so thankful for our women's leadership team and the Roots program that we have that has brought many women together around a, a great book to have devotion and discipleship together. 
Church, we need women who prize the local church. We need women who serve in our youth ministry and will mentor the next generation of women. We need to equip women in all sorts of ways. Career, mothering, wifing, mentoring, knowing and studying the word, cultivating a vibrant prayer life and enduring when a husband is not a believer or just being a knucklehead. How do you you persevere through that? When Timothy arrives at Philippi, they're going to have every reason to listen to him as they would listen to Paul. He's not in it for title or position or praise of men, but the glory of Christ and the good of his church. Paul doesn't commend Timothy because of his charm or his wit or his success as a businessman or accountant or a community leader. He commends him, why? Because he cares in a biblically faithful way for the church. That's the qualifications for leading a church. Even if Timothy must say some hard things, look at verse 22. They know his proven worth. The word proven worth comes from a from a verb meaning to put to the test. As Marita writes, Timothy was a true friend who helped and sustained the apostle. What made Timothy a great friend? The best friends are those who serve and care for you like Christ would serve and care for you. Then he asks this, do you have friends like that? Do you have friends who will serve and care for you like that? And then he says this, are you a friend like that? Have you passed the test? Timothy has passed the test. He's passed the test by relating to Paul as a son with a father. He's been willing to receive from Paul. He's been willing to learn from Paul. Paul is saying this, you can count on him, Philippi. You can count on him being among you as a son who looks and acts just like his father. Paul can trust Timothy to lead well because of his proven humility in following him. That's Paul, as he follows Christ. And the Philippians, therefore, can trust him as well. They know his proven worth. They're servants together. In chapter 1, verse 1, Paul and Timothy are, in a sense, writing together. And what do they call themselves? Slaves of Christ Jesus. They've been together in ministry. They've been together through adversity. And Timothy has proven to be a faithful son, learning from Paul and serving in the gospel. Do you see that in verse 22? The word serving in verse 22 is literally the word being a slave with. Do you know that when you get freed by the gospel, you become a slave to the gospel? The, the thing, if you really understand what it is to be set free from sin, death, hell, and the grave, then you are gladly a servant and a slave to the gospel. The very message that made you free, I will serve it with all that I have. And Timothy's been proven that he is riveted to the gospel like Paul is. He is all in for the gospel. I want you to hear this well this morning. Slaves to the gospel are not swayed from the gospel when the pressures for faithfulness to the gospel intensify. Slaves to the gospel are not swayed from the gospel. Timothy was such a man. He wasn't going to get wrapped up in whatever the drama was in Philippi. He was there for Jesus. He was there for the gospel. And he was going to make sure that Philippi got it together under the lordship of Christ in pursuing the mission of Christ. So help him God. So in verse 23, 
Paul says he hopes to send Timothy just as soon as he can, just as soon as he has a, a clear indication of how his trial is going to turn out. In the meantime, Paul sends this letter to Philippi to thank them for their gift and to prepare them for Timothy's arrival. Paul trusts in the Lord, verse 24, that he's going to show up as well just as soon as he can. What an encouragement it must have been for Paul to have Timothy and Timothy to have Paul. To have one another in ministry and to be like-minded and concerned for and conviction about the church. C.S. Lewis once said this, Friendship is born at the moment when one man says to another, What? You too? I thought I was the only one. Paul and Timothy were friends. They were more than church leaders. They were deep friends who longed for the glory of Christ to be on display in the church. It was their thing. We can all learn from Timothy's genuine concern for Philippi and his humility in being mentored by Paul. We can also learn from Paul's selflessness in being willing to send Timothy, the only one that he had, back out to Philippi. And and speaking of this selflessness, this Christ-like humility, Paul now in verse 25 will transition to a second example, the example of Epaphroditus. And what we can learn from Epaphroditus is this. We can learn perseverance in the work of Christ even when illness brings us to death's door. This is what we see in Epaphroditus. He, he sticks with the stuff even when he's sick. And not just a little bit sick. Not when he has a sniffle. Not when he's got a five-day quarantine. But when he's on the brink of death. In verse 25, Paul tells the Philippians he thought it was necessary to send back Epaphroditus to them. Not optional. This is what I got to do. And then Paul uses five words to describe Epaphroditus, and he front loads them in the Greek to emphasize them. Brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister. I'm going to begin in reverse order. I'm going to begin with messenger and minister. Paul's point is that Epaphroditus had come from Philippi with a gift and served as their messenger and minister in meeting his needs. Now the word messenger comes from the same word for apostle. It means one who's sent out. Now that means Epaphroditus is a little a apostle to the big A apostle. Right? We got some churches that think they're still big A apostles, but the big A apostles ended when Revelation was closed. Right? There's no more people out there receiving direct revelation and writing scripture. None of that stuff is happening. The, the canon is closed until Jesus comes back. Right, we, we are waiting for him to return. Not a jot or tittle ceases. And so when somebody says, I got a word or a healing feeling or a hankering, and it doesn't, doesn't jive with what the Bible already says, big warning lights go off. Okay, So there's no more big A apostles. But there's a lot of little a apostles. There's missionaries that we send out to the nations. There's little a apostles that go and help people like Paul who need our assistance and our support. And so little a apostle goes to big a apostle as a messenger and minister to his need. He's, he's, a, he's one who's sent out. But he's also not just an apostle, little a. He's also a minister. The word minister is the word used to describe priestly sacrificial service he's willing to be spent 
in the service to Christ by supporting Paul. He's willing to endure whatever cost necessary to meet Paul's needs while he's in prison on behalf of the church in Philippi and in service to Jesus. Paul also calls Epaphroditus a brother, a fellow worker, and a fellow soldier. The word brother is a reminder that Epaphroditus, who is likely a Gentile, he was likely a pagan before he came to know Christ, and Paul, who is a Jew, both ethnically and by his religious background, they are both in God's one family and in God's one people through faith in his one son. They now belong to God the Father. They are brothers. The Spirit of God took two sinners and he changed them on the inside. And he took a pagan and a Jew and he gave them the same spiritual DNA and he made them brothers who love one another because they love Jesus and they long to make him known. That then, therefore makes them fellow workers. They have a job to do. If you've been saved by Christ, if you've been brought into his family, then you have a job. Did you know that? Your job's to make him known. They are fellow workers in spreading the gospel. Sure, God has called Paul and Epaphroditus to different roles and responsibilities in this work. Paul is more of a leader and Epaphroditus is more of a layman, but that doesn't make Paul think of himself as any better than Epaphroditus. They're colleagues in the gospel. A difference in role doesn't mean a difference in value. Whatever your job was this morning, whether you helped park cars or whether you taught a Sunday school class or whether you did nothing but get out of bed on a day you'd have rather stayed in bed and it was a struggle to get here and now you're here because you know you need the Word of God more than you needed 50 more minutes of sleep and you're here this morning. Whatever you did, you're a co-worker, you're a co-laborer in the gospel. And all the parts are needed, all the parts are valuable. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think are less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And what is Paul going to say in verse 29? Paul will remind them to do what? To honor Epaphroditus and people like him. Don't just honor the pastors and the ministry leaders. Yes, we should do that. But also honor the folks who do the thankless jobs. Honor Epaphroditus, the delivery guy. How did he draw that straw? Hey, we want you to go 900 miles to Rome. Take this money to Paul. What? Honor every member because every member and every task performed from love for Christ and his church is vital in our present battle for faithfulness to King Jesus as we seek to shine forth his glory. This is why Paul calls Epaphroditus finally a fellow soldier. They're both engaged in the same battle. They're both engaged in a fight to remain faithful to Christ in the face of the challenges that come. A fight for unity in the church and a fight to get the gospel to the lost around us and among the nations. Epaphroditus was happy to engage that fight for the church at Philippi by meeting Paul's needs. But as we see in verses 26 and 27, he became deathly ill in the process. Three times. Paul mentions how close Epaphroditus came to death. In verse 27, he was near to death. In verse 30, he nearly died and risked his life. The only other place we find the words nearly died in verse 30 came back up in verse 8 of chapter 2. When Paul says that Jesus was obedient unto death. 
You see what Paul's doing? Paul's saying, you want to find an example of Christ-like humility? Here he is, he's carrying the letter back to you. He almost died to get your gift to me. Fee says this, by completing his mission in the midst of severe illness, he put his own life in jeopardy. He models one who is ready to risk his life to suffer for the sake of Christ on behalf of others. Epaphroditus is a picture of staying focused on Christ, the good of his church, and the progress of the gospel, even when our lives are on the line. Have you noticed in yourself, I've noticed it in myself, that when illness strikes, our tendency is to become self-focused? When illness strikes, our tendency is to become insular, to focus on ourselves, to isolate, and maybe even get a little bit of woe-is-me-ism. I hate to be sick. I mean, I don't even like a cold or a sniffle. I've had a cough since late October, and I'm just over it, you know? But Epaphroditus just keeps going. Like his Savior and King, he was obedient even in the face of death. And it takes a little bit of reading between the lines here, but here's what Paul is basically saying to the church at Philippi. Epaphroditus nearly died by serving you and serving me. And he never lost his focus on Jesus. He never lost his focus on you and getting the gift to me. And he never lost his focus on the progress of the gospel. Now some of you at Philippi are being discouraged by persecution. Epaphroditus has shown us faithfulness to the point of death. Some of you are not being forgiven or forgiving or repentant or you're just being plain old selfish about your preferences to the detriment of the church. You're making it about you rather than the gospel. And Epaphroditus was concerned for you when he was sick. And if he's selfless at the point of death, what is your problem? That's that's what Paul's saying between the lines. What is going on, y'all? Dude was about to croak. And y'all are back there having a spat about nothing. And he kept coming because he needed to tell me what was going on there so y'all would get it straight. And y'all are still yapping when he brings the letter and you better stop it. This guy almost died for you. And if that doesn't shut down your yipping, then what's your problem? You see that in verse 26? I mean, this guy's incredible. He's about to die, and what is he? He apparently he gets well somewhere along the way, and and Paul says he's been longing for you all. Man, I'd be happy for Epaphroditus now that he's well to hang with me, but he's so desperate to get back to y'all. Why? Because he's distressed because you found out that he was sick. Wow. Now, how did they find out he was sick? Most likely because he was bringing a financial gift. They probably traveled with a group of people. He gets sick somewhere along the way, and somebody goes back to Philippi. He's not going to be able to make it, and he's being a little bit of a hardhead. He says he's going to make it to Rome, but I'm telling you, the dude's going to die. And so everybody's back in Philippi. Epaphroditus is dead. He's going to die. We've lost Epaphroditus. What are we doing? And Epaphroditus makes it to Rome, and what does Paul say? God healed him. Praise God. He healed him. The word distressed in verse 26, how distressed was he? The only other place this word occurs in the Bible is in the Garden of Gethsemane. When Jesus is going to go to the cross, bear the wrath of God and pay the price for sin, and he's distressed and he sweats drops of blood. This is what Epaphroditus is like for the church of Philippi. Full of turmoil and anxiety because he loves these people. 
This is selfless humility for the glory of Christ and the good of others on display. And, and God healed him. We don't, we don't know how God healed him. We don't know if it was somebody praying for him. We don't know if it was a, a, just a miracle that God worked. Or maybe somebody showed up along the way with some essential oils. I mean, we just we don't know how God healed him. But what we do know, it was, it was an act of God's mercy. God mercifully spared Epaphroditus, and he also mercifully spared Paul sorrow upon sorrow. He's already in prison. He's already needing uh, his provisions to be provided for by Epaphroditus, and, and Epaphroditus makes it there, and he, he lives. Paul has written much about joy and rejoicing, but that doesn't mean we don't grieve the loss of our brothers and sisters. If Epaphroditus had died, he would have had sorrow upon sorrow. But God spared him. And Paul sends them to Philippi for two reasons. First, they're going to see him alive and well, and they're going to have reason to rejoice. Do you see that in verse 28? Now, I want to point something out real quick. I, I know getting a little long in the tooth here this morning, but Paul has already said, rejoice in everything. Rejoice in your suffering. Rejoice in your service to Christ. And now Epaphroditus is going to show up, and he's going to be healthy and well, and they're going to rejoice. Do you get that? Not only do we have an ongoing disposition of rejoicing, but when we see little mercy drops of God working in our midst, when he delivers somebody who's sick and suddenly they get well, when somebody we've been praying for comes to saving faith in Christ, when there's revival in his church, even though we've got this ongoing disposition of rejoicing, it's okay to get a little more rejoicing when we see God do something. It's okay to get a little Pentecostal, okay? Glory to God. Praise Jesus. Thank the Lord that God has delivered him. And the second reason that Paul is going to send him back is he's going to have less anxiety about what's going on in Philippi. Because Paul's been shaken to his core. This is Philippi. This is the first church that he's planted in Europe. He's seen God bring together a slave girl and, and Lydia, who was the merchant of purple. I mean, God has done amazing things in Philippi. And he gets this report from Epaphroditus, who's about to die. And he's like, I was going to die, but I had to get here because I was dying to tell you that God needs to show up in Philippi because they got problems. So he sends Epaphroditus back and he's like, if they can't respond to this letter and you carry in this letter, then what are we going to do? If you can't get, have joy and get together and you can't rejoice in God's mercy after hearing what God has done for Epaphroditus and about Epaphroditus' faithfulness to Jesus on your behalf, that would be a big problem, Paul's saying. And the reality is, church, it's, it's sadly easier to stay focused on our hurts and our perceived slights sometimes even when we have evidence of God's merciful work all around us. But Paul is confident that the Lord has now gotten their attention. He's going to refresh their hearts, and he's confident they're going to receive Epaphroditus. They're going to welcome him, and they're going to welcome this letter in the Lord with all joy. Epaphroditus will be a physical reminder of the selfless humility of Christ. He will remind them that Jesus didn't quit on us or on the Father's mission when completing the mission meant giving up his life. He will remind the church that Jesus is worthy of our all. They'll have an example right before them. He's worthy of our all in life and in health and in death and adversity. And when people like Epaphroditus remind us of Jesus and all that we've been given in Jesus, when their lives compel us to be renewed in giving our all for Jesus, we should honor them, verse 29. 
If he says such honor is not drawing glory away from God, but it is properly given to one of God's own who nearly poured out his life on behalf of a brother. I'm so thankful for people who give their lives in service to Christ at North Roanoke Baptist Church. I I think of many people. I think right now of, of Lynn and Cindy Vernon, who in April of 2021, we asked them, would you please step up and help us in our preschool ministry? We're trusting God to send young families. We're trusting God to send preschoolers, and we need some help in our preschool ministry. And you know what they said? They didn't say, you know what they didn't say? We need to pray about it. You know, there's some things you don't need to pray about. You have the availability. You have the calling. You just need to get started. And they said, you know what? We're going to go to work. And I'm telling you, God is blessed immeasurably and immensely because they stepped up and went down in the preschool hallway, which I affectionately call the dungeon, which is why we're going to have a renovation and help our kiddos out. But they stepped up. And so many of you stepped up in so many ways. And, and we honor you, not because we want to blow smoke or just put your name in lights, but because it's, a, it's a, an example of Christ's likeness that compels us all to be fueled for the glory of God. In verse 30, Paul says, Epaphroditus risked his life to complete what was lacking in the Philippians' service to him. What was lacking in their service to him was their presence. They couldn't all be there. So he brought their gift, but they couldn't all be there. And at the risk of his own life, he made it to Paul to refresh him and let him know personally about what was going on in Philippi. Epaphroditus was willing to die for Paul to be blessed and the church to get well. Let me say that again. Epaphroditus was willing to die for Paul to be blessed and the church to be well. How about you? How would you rank your regard for your local church? And your interest in the well-being of others? In a world that celebrates safe spaces. In a world where risk seems to be reserved only for the worlds of business, sports, and gambling. Where are the Christians who would risk their lives for the welfare of the church? May God compel us through the examples of Timothy and Epaphroditus to be willing to risk our lives and crucify our pride and our preferences for what really matters, the work of Christ. May God help us become a church of Timothy's radically devoted to Jesus and his church and Epaphroditus's not running away when church gets hard but risking our lives for the glory of Christ and the good of his church. Would you pray with me? God, our Father in heaven, we thank you for the examples of Timothy and Epaphroditus. And in a world that coaches us to shy away from risk, in a world that urges us to cater to our own egos, you've given us the church as the place to practice and to live out the life of Christ. God, I pray that you would help us to deny self, crucify sin in the power of your Spirit so that your church may thrive and the nations may know that Jesus is Lord.
to the glory of God the Father. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the North Roanoke Podcast. You can connect with us at northroanoke.org or download our app in your device's app store. Just search for North Roanoke. We hope to meet you soon.